Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, today is the first Sunday in Lent. Um, the season where we as Christians, we mark the 40 days of fasting and temptation in the wilderness that Jesus went through. Um, it's a very special time um, as we sort of lead ourselves towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And in the Orthodox Church, they call it the season of, of bright sadness because there's this sense that Lent, that there's kind of this profound mingling of joy as we look towards Easter Sunday and the resurrection and our redemption and also of grief as we contemplate what Jesus went through and our own sinfulness. It's a very profound season. And um, as we go through Lent, we have decided to start a teaching series um, today called Crossroads. Yes, Pete came up with that title. He loves a little wordplay. It tells a lot about your music taste, the first song you think of when you hear the word Crossroads. Okay, so hands up. I don't actually know. There's like a 90s boy band with like 400 members. They had that song that's like, meet you at the crossroads, cross. Anybody? Is that ringing? A, that's ringing a bell, right? I, when I first heard it, I immediately think of the blues rock classic. I went down to the crossroads. Anybody? Is that the, yeah. Okay, more hands. Good. Okay. All is not lost. That's a, that's a good sign. I was the only kid in my entire high school that knew who Eric Clapton was. It's difficult. Adolescence is difficult. <clears throat> So we're embarking on this teaching series called Crossroads, and the idea is that we're going to look at the cross as we, as we head towards Easter. We're going to talk about how it's the means of our salvation, which is the focus of today. But we're also going to look at how the cross offers us a framework for living. The cross shows us a lot about the kind of God that we worship and therefore how we should live and act, because the cross is not just about our attainment of heaven, as it sometimes gets reduced to. It's actually about our embodied participation in the new creation that was inaugurated on Good Friday. And so over the coming weeks, we're going to look at living with an attitude of surrender. We're going to look at what it means to forgive. Very difficult topic. We're going to look at the topic of generosity and living in a way that kind of is just generous in in every way. And we're also going to look at living um, out of encouragement someone who thinks more of others than they do of themselves out of humility. So I think it's going to be a really great series. Um, And today we're going to talk about the cross as the way of salvation. It's a nice light topic. No theological conundrums to get myself into today. So our scripture reading today is from Colossians 1. Um, Some of you may remember last summer I did a message on the Christ hymn in Colossians 1 about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read that passage again today, but there's a few verses before and after it which are particularly helpful for what I want to talk about today. So here we are, Colossians 1, 13 to 23. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. And, um, you know, for me, particularly verses 15 to 20, the Christ hymn are just some of the most kind of awe-inspiring verses in all of the New Testament. And so this is what I want to kind of speak out of today. And I particularly want to put this emphasis on, on these phrases that Paul used, the dominion of darkness and then us being brought into the kingdom of the sun, this, this kind of juxtaposition that's put before us of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, where, which it's called in other places. And so we're going to journey through that today. We're going to get to the kingdom of light. But first, I think for this to have a full kind of impact, the full weight, the full kind of understanding that we can have of this, we really need to have an appreciation of what the dominion of darkness is that Paul is talking about. The kingdom of darkness Sometimes the church fathers referred to this as the world, the flesh, and the devil, the three things that they saw as being um, part of that kingdom of darkness. If I was to sum up the kingdom of darkness in one phrase, I would say it like this. I would say, all is not well. And uh, we only need to flick our news apps at the minute to see the headlines before we even get into some of the horrific details to see what's going on in the world right now, the very grim state of things, particularly as we think about what's happening in Ukraine. A friend pointed out to me that the day that the pandemic was officially declared over in England, as if it's some kind of race that has a very definite finish line, is unfortunately the day that we woke up to the news that Russia had in fact decided to invade. I'll be honest, I was a bit naive. I kind of didn't think there would be military, you know, physical invasion in Europe again. I kind of thought we'd been there and we've done that. We've learned the very difficult lesson. 108 million people died in the 20th century as a result of war. Have we not learned this lesson by now? And yet, sadly, we can see what is unfolding before us. The myth of human progress has once again been exposed as that, a myth as we look at images of tanks rolling into villages in Ukraine, as we look at bombs uh, raining down on civilians, as we hear some of the really heartbreaking stories that are going on of families being ripped apart by one man's desire for power. And of course, even though we have, you know, most of my life that the UK has lived in relative peace, there hasn't been any, you know, sort of, conflicts in this manner that feel like they are right in front of our face. Everything else has felt kind of distant. It's easy to kind of turn a blind eye to. And yet here we are faced with a very real existential threat. But war is not unusual. In fact, it's very hard to sort of find an exact sort of statistic around this because there's so many different ways you could measure it. But war is the default setting of humankind. The, The amount of time that we've spent in peace 
is, I think, in single figures percentage-wise compared to the amount of time in recorded history that we've spent in conflict and war is our default setting. The reality of human evil is just unavoidable. And this is something I think we can all agree on, that pain and suffering and evil exists in the world. I've just finished a second essay on the book of Ecclesiastes, which is why I've looked very serious for the past six months. Um, But one of the sort of observations I made as I was writing that was that Ecclesiastes, if you're familiar with it, is this kind of philosophical sort of monologue that comes up in the Old Testament. It's one of the wisdom books, and it is an absolutely profound piece of literature. It's beautiful. I sort of hope we can do a series on it sometime, Pete, if you're watching this. But one of the, re- one of the things that I sort of realized as, as, you, as you read about Ecclesiastes, you read about all the sort of co- um, commentary that's been done on it, it has resonated with so many people throughout the centuries, including lots of people who actually aren't or wouldn't have said to be Christians. And Ecclesiastes is super minded about the fact that evil exists, that life is difficult and things are hard. And that is a message that resonates with everybody. You can't sort of be alive and look around and not agree with that message. And so this kingdom of darkness, it's very easy to see on the news, and it's very easy to kind of uh, point out when we see it in others. But do you know that the kingdom of darkness is also present in your own heart? The modern phenomenon of uh, cancel culture is very interesting to me because it shows that even though we're now moving in a time where really it's, it's a post-Christian age and secularism has kind of been on the rise, people still have this framework for right and wrong and morality and and an awareness, in fact, of human fallenness, although none of this would ever be called sin, as the Bible uh, does. And cancel culture certainly doesn't have any sense of redemption. Rather than agreeing to disagree or working towards compromise or um, truly treating other people with kindness and respect, we simply cancel someone my way or the highway I was thinking when I was thinking about this, you know, the the verse in scripture, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. feels like the cancel culture message is a little bit like all have sinned except me. That's kind of what it's saying. In 2013, um, parents worldwide were dismayed at the release of the movie Frozen. And um, it's a signature soundtrack. Sorry, I'll I'll not speak for everyone. It's it's more about the number of times I've had to watch it really than, you know. (laughs) It's a great movie. I have a, a, yeah, yeah, let it go, let it go. If someone could pray for me after the service. But the, the song, Let It Go, the anthem of that movie, here are some of the lyrics. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. It's like an anthem of our day and age, isn't it? But this kind of unrestrained freedom, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, this kind of unrestrained freedom just doesn't work. And in fact, it's the very kind of thing that the Bible identifies as a form of bondage. Because when you can have anything you want, and you can say anything you want, and be anything you want, and treat people however you want, you're actually in bondage to your own fallen self, your own sinful nature. And it will only lead you further into the kingdom of darkness. Another way that the Bible, sort of some of the language that's put around this idea, is the idea of the spirit versus the flesh. You know, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, and to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And unrestrained self-gratification is definitely living in the flesh and not in the spirit. It seems to me like it becomes more preoccupied with how do I feel good 
than how do I be good? And that's a very, there's a very crucial difference between those two things. Life is not just about feeling good. You know, we must ask ourselves the question of, you know, how do we live a truly good life? And someone who's truly good doesn't hurt others and also lives in such a way that is good for themselves, ironically. I was, um, I'm not sure how the household chores work in your house, um, but in this season with two young kids, Andrea and I have become very good at sort of doing a quick, you know, make it look great for when people arrive at eight o'clock for dinner. And if they'd been there half an hour earlier, they would have been like, wow, this was a different picture. You know, so you sort of threw everything into the conservatory and like pulled the curtains and suddenly it feels like this really calm space again. And, um, you know, so like take the bathroom, for example, I was cleaning the bathroom last week and, you know, a couple of times a week, hoover it, you know, quickly empty the bin, tidy up, make it look good, right? It's fine. If you walked in, you wouldn't sort of be like, whoa, this is repulsive. But as you know, if you have a, a space to live in, you have to do a deep clean every so often. And so last week I got, got down on my knees and got behind the toilet and my goodness, it's like over the course of a few months, the kind of dust and dirt and grime that builds up is quite startling. But as I was doing that, it really struck me like this is kind of a picture of our lives, isn't it? We do a really good job at making things appear nice and tidy and attractive on the surface. But we all know that we have these internal struggles that we're very, very good at hiding. And of course, this is all the stuff that we know. Pride, thinking you are better than someone else. Or self-doubt, the opposite, thinking that you're worse than everybody else. Anger and impatience, lust, envy, greed, you know, and we could, we could certainly talk about all of those things. The Bible is incredibly open about this dark underbelly of the human heart, and yet it's also the place where we're invited to explore it under the loving gaze of a compassionate father. So that's a little bit about the kingdom of darkness, and I'm sorry if that was a bit bleak, um, but... You know, as I said earlier, especially with thinking about that Ecclesiastes thing, this is a message that resonates. Everybody knows that all is not well. And yet, this is where the Christian story becomes a little bit different because into this mess and this darkness and this um, dominion of, of evil steps Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man, the eternal Son of the Father, the second person of the Trinity, in whom there is no darkness at all, in whom there is light, only light, who was with God in the beginning, by whom and for whom and through whom all things were created and all things are sustained. He holds all things together. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, took on a human body, a human nature, and moved into the neighborhood, as one translation puts it. This is the beauty of our faith, the incarnation, really, that he became one of us. Rather than doing something um, godlike, he did something the opposite of what you would expect the king of all kings to do. And uh, his life on earth. He lived sinlessly. He lived perfectly. He showed us the answer to the question, how do you live a good life? And his life culminated on the cross. In First Peter, we read that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
That's what happened on the cross. It's easy, um, if like me, you've been a Christian for a while, to kind of brush over some of the details of the cross. Now, I remember um, probably in my late teens when I first really started taking uh, this whole thing seriously, um, I remember just like the first time I really sat down and someone told me about crucifixion and what happened. Do you remember when the Passion of the Christ came out? There was kind of like a cultural horror of like, oh, wow, like this, this, wasn't, this was not a nice thing. And I think sometimes we get kind of used to it. It gets kind of, you know, known to us. We can really remove ourselves from the horror of it. We're very good at singing lines like, he bled and died for us, the kind of the, the, the headline of what happened. But we don't often talk about the nails and the blood on the wood, the crown of thorns that pierced his head. We don't always mention the fact that not only was he innocent, which he knew, everybody else knew it as well. And he was put in the place of someone who everybody knew was guilty, a criminal, Barabbas. The crowd wanted him freed and Jesus executed. We sometimes forget that it was one of his best friends who betrayed him with a kiss, that he was sold for 30 pieces of silver, that he sweated blood while his friends slept. We sometimes remove ourselves from the horror of what happened to Jesus Christ. And crucifixion was quite literally designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain and suffering on the victim. It's unimaginably horrible. And yet he did it for the joy set before him. Not my will, but yours be done. And here's the beautiful truth. To borrow another phrase from the Orthodox Church, Jesus trampled death by death. He trampled death by death. This is a beautiful mystery. What looked like weakness was actually the ultimate triumph. Satan, sin, death, no longer have the last word. This is the turning point in all of history. The world would not suffice when speaking of the beauty and the meaning of the cross. I love that line, where the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Nothing we could do could even get us close to comprehending the full majesty and beauty of this story. There are different metaphors used by theologians to kind of try and explain, at least in some detail, what actually happened on the cross and um, this, is, uh, this can be a, a contentious area of theology, and maybe this would be a good topic for another theology night, perhaps closer to Easter. But today I want to focus on what seems to me to be the main um, thing that Jesus and the Gospels really try to focus on the whole time. And, and I'm aware there are other ways of looking at this, but I, I, I genuinely think this is the main one that all the others fit into. And it's not just me. Check out this quote from N.T. Wright. I have become convinced that Jesus' death was seen by Jesus himself and then by those who told and ultimately wrote his story as the ultimate means by which God's kingdom was established. The crucifixion was the shocking answer to the prayer that God's kingdom would come on earth as in heaven. On the cross, the dominion of darkness was defeated and the kingdom of the sun was now established. But how do we join this kingdom of light? How do we turn away from this kingdom of darkness? Well, Jesus' death on the cross, it inaugurated a new era. 
the main message, I think, if you had this distill into sort of one sentence, what was Jesus's main message? It was this, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus came to say. That's what he came to establish and do. Dallas Willard, who I will quote in every sermon I ever do, he referred to, to, to this whole thing as, you know, how do we live the eternal kind of life now? Well, here's a thought. We die. We do what Jesus did. We die. We die to the kingdom of darkness and we become alive to the kingdom of light. We die to our own selfishness and we become alive to this kingdom where we are enlisted with Jesus. The word faith is a really tricky one in the New Testament and personally I think um, has done an incredible amount of damage to our understanding of what really happened. We'll not get into that now. But the word faith in the New Testament was this word pistis and really it much more connotates this idea of allegiance. Faith can feel like kind of an abstract concept like what does it really mean allegiance feels much more concrete doesn't it you know which army are you in where is your allegiance which king do you serve where is your allegiance it's much more concrete and so we die to the kingdom of darkness and we give our allegiance to the kingdom of light to Jesus Christ in Romans Paul describes it like this this is a, a long passage but I think it's helpful What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. See that idea there creeping up of slavery to the flesh. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It seems crazy, doesn't it? God could have done something beyond spectacular. I don't know, he could have gone into the cosmos and done something to defeat death and sin and evil forever, something beyond our ability to even participate in. And yet he chose to die. It's wild. Let that sink in for a minute that the God of the universe chose to submit to death for us, for our sake. And the beauty of this is that he did something that we can participate in because death is common To all of us, it's one of the things that makes us human. Life is mixed with death. Every, you know, every time we see autumn, that's that's death, so that there can be new life. 
And this is how the cross gives us a framework for the kind of life that we should live because we don't have a God who sends in the tanks and flattens buildings to make his point. He submits to death. He gives himself up. He lays down his life. And in doing so, he establishes a kingdom that will know no end. He establishes a kingdom where there will be no more pain and suffering. And establishes a kingdom where all the wrongs will be put right. All the sins will be forgiven. All the evil will be defeated. And so on the cross, what looked like death to the world is actually life. What looked like the end to the world is actually the beginning. What looks like damnation to the world is actually redemption. In the kingdom of darkness, all is not well. But in the kingdom of light, all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. This is the story that we are caught up in, those of us who follow Jesus and his teachings. We know that there is a kingdom of darkness. We all know that. And this is how he this is how he established the kingdom of light. This is the plan. Again, Dallas Willard, the divine conspiracy is God's plan to overcome evil with good. This is what we live in. This is what we take part in every day of our lives as we follow Jesus. I wonder if you could join me, worship team. I've been on the receiving end of that sentence many, many times. It feels strange to do it the other way around. Now, of course, it would be strange to, to do a message like this about the sort of very core of what we believe as Christians and not leave space for response, not ask ourselves, what, what does this mean for me today? And I've intentionally taken a slightly different angle on what is essentially a salvation talk. I'm using the kingdom metaphors because I think they are incredibly helpful and vivid, and I also think they are the ones that Jesus himself used predominantly, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And it seems to me like there's maybe three ways that we could respond to this message today. And the first is this. Maybe the bathroom story resonated with you on a deeper level and you followed Jesus for a while, but over time, your allegiance to the kingdom of darkness has grown stronger. And maybe there are certain parts of your life that still feel like strongholds, areas of resistance to the kingdom of light. You have a battle with sin in whatever way that may or may not look. And maybe today the invitation to you is simply to come and kneel at the cross of Jesus Christ where you are healed, where all wrongs have been put right. The second thing that struck me as I was thinking about this was, you know, baptism, as we read in Romans, is this symbolic image of dying and rising to life. And at Easter time, we're, we're going to have baptisms across the whole church. We have no idea how yet. Um, I don't know if we can get like a swimming pool in here or something, but we are going to do it. And so I wonder, maybe again, you have been a Christian for a while and you've never taken that step of baptism. It's a beautiful thing. It's a really important moment in the life of a believer. As you, before friends and family, you, you, it's this kind of public declaration of where your allegiance truly lies. 
And so I'd love to invite you to think about um, getting baptized at Easter. And if you would like that, speak to Bill afterwards, speak to me, and we'll, we'll get it sorted for you. We get some of those wicked pads or something. There we go. And lastly, maybe you're here today and this is the first time you've heard this message of the kingdom of darkness and the cross as the turning point and the kingdom of light being established. Maybe you've never turned your life towards the kingdom of light and intentionally put your allegiance in Jesus Christ. And so, of course, I want to offer an opportunity for that to happen today. I wonder if everybody would like to stand. So if you're in that first group and you want to take this moment to, to, to mark before the Lord this idea of repentance, of turning away from sin, of re-pledging your allegiance to the kingdom of light, I'd love to invite you, if you can, to kneel in this moment. The beautiful thing about our God is that he is not vindictive he doesn't push guilt and shame on us but he does invite us to take a step ourselves to turn to him and as we know from the story of the prodigal son the father comes running to meet us at the first sign of our willingness thank you Jesus that you came that we may have life and life to the full life in all its fullness And if today is the first time that you want to take this step into the kingdom of light, I'd love to invite you to speak to whoever you came with. Or if you didn't come with anyone, come and speak to me or Bill or anyone who looks vaguely trustworthy at the front after the service. It's the most important thing that you will ever do. It's the most important thing that you could ever do to step into the kingdom of the Son who is waiting with open arms to receive you. To turn away from the kingdom of darkness. To start living a life that intentionally pushes back the darkness with light wherever you go. And if you are one of those people standing here in this moment and you've, you've followed Jesus for a while, but you've never thought about being baptized, or of course, if you are taking that step today and you want to get baptized at Easter, please do reflect on it in this moment. Think about it. I know there's all kinds of considerations around that, and, but we just want to create the opportunity for you to take that step on Easter Sunday. What a beautiful day to do that.